I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Mike Boris, and this is Straight Talk. Do you have any idea what's lurking behind your screen right now? Security officials on alert. The Medibank data breach. One of the biggest cyber attacks in Australian history. Prepare for a storm of cyber scams. There's a secret war playing out every single day right under our noses. You are talking about people that are completely dismantling a company from the inside. When you know how to hack and you're a good hacker, it is the closest thing you're going to have to a superpower. Asadu Yusuf is using the skills of a hacker against them. The whole point of being a hacker is you really are just trying to find a way around what's in front of you. It doesn't matter what you need to do. When you get that rush of breaking into something the first time, it becomes very hard to stop that snowball effect. And that's something that I had a very big problem with growing up. He's teaching Australian companies how to fight back. You really want to replicate what an attacker is going to think and do. Cyber criminals are gangsters in their own way, right? If anything, they're more dangerous than the gangsters we see on the street. They get the green light and they are allowed to go for gold. We need that too. We just need the green light. A bipartisan bill looking to ban TikTok. I mean, like everyone keeps talking about TikTok. I started reading up on TikTok. Oh my God. When you download TikTok, you're giving them rights to typically everything on your phone. It's not about what can they do with it. It's what do they want to do with it. Anything they want. Ashley Yusuf, welcome to Straight Talk, mate. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's uh, real cool to, uh, especially at the moment, to get a... Let's call you um, former, uh, on the wrong side perhaps, uh, hacker, but now on the right side hacker. Yeah, yeah, I guess we can go about that. Yeah, I mean, can I, I mean, I can't can't help but going sort of back a little bit when you were a younger fella. Yep. And um, how you started, how did someone become a hacker? Like what was the thing going through your head that made you think, oh, maybe I'll try and hack into something or did you hang out with the wrong dudes? What, What was the deal? Yeah, look, it, I, it's always a funny kind of story because you kind of see it on the movies, you see it in stories, and it's always kind of the same upbringing. For me, it was a colossal of things, right? So I kind of got introduced to what hacking was when I was very young, like 11 years old, 10 years old. How? No one actually introduced me to it. I came across it on my own in primary school. I was very inquisitive, and I didn't really like rules at all. You know, anytime I played a game, it was how do I cheat the game? Anytime I did anything, it was how can I find a shortcut? You go on a YouTube or something like that and find out what the cheats are or how to cheat or how to win almost, the game. Almost, yeah. Well, is it to win or to cheat? Uh, it would be to it would be to win ultimately, but through cheating. So it would be Shortcutting like, that. Shortcutting. So to me, that didn't, I didn't know that was considered hacking. It still probably isn't considered hacking, but 
it kind of led me in that direction. So I remember in primary school, Facebook at the time had this very small floor, which ended up being a massive floor later on, where they would expose people's emails accounts on their account, uh, on their profile. And every time I made an account for Facebook, I'd make like six of them at the time. And there was always this running theme where it was like, put in your security question. And your security question was something as simple as, you know, where were your parents born? What, what was your dog's name? So I thought, well, what if I go to school and I just ask everybody for the security question? And they're not going to pick up on it. So I went to school the next day, asked 20 people for the, the security questions. Oh, what's your dog's first name? Where were your parents born? I go home, I put in their email and I, their security question. I now have their account. Huh. And it was as simple as that. I was like, okay, this is too easy. Uh, fast forwards from there. You know, I met some people online through chat rooms. Uh, and they basically kind of mentored me through what it is to be a hacker. It seems like in the movies they showed we shown it as some sort of dark world mm. where it's a pitch black room and um, a young 15 or 16-year-old mm. teenager full of testosterone and risk-taking yeah. um, is prepared to uh, work, sit up all night, schoolwork during the day, see yeah. mum and dad during the day, in the evening, whatever, then sneaks around, gets into a dark room and sits there hacking all night or talking to hackers all night. All night. Is that, is that, was that your, your thing? Similar, similar. It's funny because I didn't really do it during like the nighttime. I just did it anytime. You know, my brother would probably be right next to me, but he'd have no clue of what I'm doing. He just thinks, you know, I'm a 10 year old kid, 12 year old kid, and I'm just playing games. But really, I'm talking to people that are, you know, maybe in their teens, early 20s, and they're, they, they're aware of how old I am. They're aware of the risks that I can take that they can't take. So because of that, they would probably walk me into things that would be like, all right, Asadi, we're going to teach you how to do this. When we want you to do it, you do it. Well, what do you mean that you, you could take risks that they couldn't take? I understand. So because of my age, I could get away with a lot more. You know, there's not much. Because you can't get prosecuted. I can't get prosecuted. And they made me aware of that. So to me, it was a sense of power as well. It's like, all right, I'm this 14-year-old kid and I know I can do anything right now and who's going to touch me? But to them, you know, they would kind of drool into my head like, you're our key child right now. Like, whatever. Serious? <laughs> yeah, like the, that's they how groom it, you. They, they, they groom you. They groom you into doing things. And at least for me, I had mentors on both sides. So whatever I wasn't completely comfortable with, I always used to bring towards mentors on the other side who did know about this. I did keep it quiet towards family and friends. I didn't want anyone knowing. But the mentors would always kind of give me this outlook, well, Asadi, you can go down this route, make some mistakes, and it can possibly destroy your life, or you can stay this side and just stay on the border. You know, you don't have to do what they're telling you to do, but learn about it. And that's exactly what I did. I never pushed myself outside the bounds where I could really hurt somebody, or I could disrupt a humongous service, but I definitely did contribute in, in helping other people maybe find information that they shouldn't have found. I, I'm just intrigued by this. Yeah. So... Uh, these individuals, so you're, you're online, you're yeah. somehow you, you allocate yourself a maybe a name. Sure. Um, Something is. Yeah. And then you go to where to, where's the marketplace where you walk around? I'm mm. talking digitally. Yeah, yeah. Where you walk around where someone can tap you on the sh sh shoulder and say, hey, a city like, uh, uh, why don't you come and hang out with us? I mean, wh where, where did you do this? The funny, so I actually met. The first group that I came across, they were actually on PlayStation. I was playing um, late night and we can call this guy Brandon. He was the first guy I came across. He had a group of friends one night that I met and we were all speaking online and I was like, oh, I didn't really have a lot of friends back then. So when I met this group, I was like, I'm going to make, I'm going to befriend these older teenagers. Um, we would end up playing this game every single day. And then they were like, why don't you jump off the PlayStation one time and come talk to us in this chat room? 
and that would give me the link to meet up with them. And it went quickly from being games to the older type of games that they would be playing, you know, which would be yeah, their hacking adventures. Um, and it, it could be anything, honestly, as simple as a website called 4chan. Uh, it used to be quite the place for hackers to meet up, quite the place for groups to kind of mingle. And, and it was as simple as like, you, you would see people, honestly, just publicly say, we're looking for a hacker. We're looking for people to learn hacking. Like it wasn't anything that secretive. So to me, it was like, I want to be a part of this. You know, I don't have any friends outside of this. I can maybe make friends online and they can give me the respect that I want. You know, I'm a 14 year old kid that's getting respect from older people. That's, that feels powerful. That feels How strange. would you profile yourself? Like today, if you look back at your 20, in your 20s yeah. now, if you were looking for a, a typical uh, person mm-hmm. who could do this. As someone that's trying to recruit or something. Yeah, yeah. so you're a recruiter, yeah. you're looking you're looking for a profile yeah. of a city again. Yeah, um, to someone that's very, very inquisitive. Someone that's curious and a bit of a problem solver. And you, you'll come across those people, right? Like if I was to go looking for someone, all I need to do is tell them that I have this very exciting plan in, in mind. And the, per- the first person to come message me who's even curious about it, that to me, that's a green flag. If you're even messaging me the first time because I've said something to do with an exciting plan, I already know you're kind of my guy. There's not much I'm, you're going to question me about, especially if you're a younger man. Like it, that whole space is dominated from the male space, right? And it's, it's exactly what you said, it's testosterone fueled. You've got a group of 10 people maybe telling you, yeah, you can do this, you can do this. That's all it takes. And that's all it took for me. I just had a lot of people telling me how amazing I was. And, you know, that was... That's well, typical grooming. Typical no, grooming. In any style. Yeah, like, absolutely. Grow, like, I mean, I, I remember once many years ago, like, a Chinese guy used to, when I was, I was in my 20s, but a Chinese guy used to tell me how good I was at everything I did. And then of what I didn't realise the whole time he was robbing me um, mm. because we were in business together. And he was using my stupidity and naivety um, to mm-hmm. lay down a foundation whereby I trusted him. So therefore I never checked anything he was saying to me. As it turned out, he, he robbed me of like a lot of money sure. and uh, over a year and a half's time and left me with a liability here in Australia when he pissed off back to Taiwan. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I only found it because the authorities told me. But that that's pretty typical, I guess. So, uh, so you're a 14-year-old sort of getting, you know, mm. elevated. For sure. It's and the everyone's best your friend. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, you've got this group that, you know, consider like family. Yeah. And it just went like that. So, okay, that's cool. So I, I get it. And But when did you first start picking up your skills or how do you pick up your skills or is it just by people telling you what to do? People would tell me what to do, but because we, you know, we all had different time zones, I wasn't always online at the same time as them. They would often be like, all right, next time you come online, have a look at this and see what you think about it. And it would kind of drag me down my own aisle. I didn't really like school at all. So any of the subjects I was learning at school, I didn't care about when I got home. I just went straight online to how can I do something like anything that seemed interesting. One thing that was very interesting to me at the time was social engineering and Wi-Fi hacking. Those two were like my bread and butter. What's social engineering? Social engineering is probably a craft I still enjoy the most. And it's basically the art of manipulation on how to gain information through, you know, not getting, not getting exposed at all. So for instance, if I wanted to find out some information regarding your account, or your personal life, I would ask very inadvertent questions to try and get there. To me? Yeah. So um, just say I call up a mobile, like a mobile provider, an internet provider. If I just know enough about someone's first name, it could lead me down knowing how much they pay for their bill, their credit card numbers, all their personal details. I just need to ask the right questions in the right fashion. And the other person on the other side, I'm not going to notice. 
And to me, I really enjoy that. That's the supplier. Vodafone, it could be Telstra, yeah. it could be any of the, the telcos, for argument's sake. Yep. You somehow ring up customer information and you somehow know my, my, my first and second name. Yep. You know there are ways that you can question them. So, for instance, I run a social engineering attack on time, ethically, where I called a provider of some sort, can't name who, but I had on the background my laptop there and I had baby sounds on, pretending that I was a dad. Yeah. So I was like, oh, my kid's crying. I, I just need to get this information now. And I'm going on, going on. And the person on the line is feeling sympathetic for me now. <laughs> They're not going to question me too much, right? They're just going to give me what I want. They know my kid's crying and I need to go because my kid has soccer practice too. So basically things like that is what kind of plays with the human mind. And I've realized in any moment I can, even physically, if I go to a restaurant, I will always try to tweak a little bit of social engineering there just to see how far I can go. Um, nothing can you give crazy. me an example? Yeah, for instance, like if I, okay, so I went to a chicken shop not too long ago, my favorite chicken shop, Apollo's, I'll plug them in there. And I was like, all right, this place is about to close. I want extra things with my my meal. I want sauce, I want gravy, I want all the good stuff. But I didn't want to have to go up and ask. I just want to see how far. So I know they're about to close. In my mind, if they're about to close up everything and I go ask them just as they're closing, they're not going to open that till back up. They're just going to give it to me for free. So it's exactly what I did. Go up there and like, oh, I forgot to tell you. Do you mind if I grab the sauce? And I just saw her lock the sauce away in the cabinet. Uh, yeah, okay. She got the sauce out. Oh, you got to open the till. Don't worry about it. No, no, you can have this one in the house. That's it. Yeah. To me, there's small, simple things that can lead you down getting what you want. Now, of course, there's a limit to how much you should do it. There's a limit to, to what you should really do. I guess, you know, it can go from one end to an extreme very quickly. But I think, yeah, it's just about picking your time. So social engineering is sort of like a form of manipulating Absolutely. circumstances. Absolutely. So the first thing you got to do is recognize circumstances. Yeah. So you have to study circumstances mm-hmm. which create opportunities for you then to ask questions that will manipulate the outcomes. Yeah. That, that sort of makes sense. It's funny you should say that because I just think to myself, and I don't do it to him, but my cousin owns a, a restaurant. I'll give him a shout. It's called District. And uh, I know that – and I don't accept it at this stage, not because I any moral reason or any ethical reason. I just don't want to have it because I don't feel like it. But yeah, yeah. They, if I go there on a Friday afternoon at around three o'clock, they close the external area at about four. Mm-hmm. Whatever they got left over, they always say, oh, "I buy one thing." They always give me two or three, offer to give me two or three things because they're, they're going to throw it away anyway. Sure. So they're, they're thinking to themselves, "Well, I might as well give it to Mark because he's a good customer," and I. Instead of throwing it away, I might as well work Mark over. They're trying yep. to manipulate manipulate me. Yeah. But if I know the situation, I can manipulate them exactly. to get free stuff. I don't because it's just cakes and shit and I don't yeah, really yeah. want it. But, yeah, that's mm. sort of interesting. It's, uh, and uh, I, I, I noticed that during, particularly during the COVID period, I noticed that when they were doing lots of giveaways because they took the view we might as well keep our customer base mm-hmm. happy then as opposed to throwing shit away. Yeah, and course. there wasn't as many people in town, of course. Um, that, that's very cool. So, so social engineering is about – Recognizing platforms as a hacker, yep. a hacker would uh, would know social engineering quite well. Yeah, he should. He should. I yeah. mean, the whole point of being a hacker is even outside of the game of you know web application hacking, infrastructure hacking. You really are just trying to find a way around what's in front of you. That barricade, you know, that challenge that's there. It's just how can I get there? What can I take? It doesn't matter what you need to do. And I guess socially, that that whole aspect is very important as a hacker. Is there a balance between you know? Ethics. I mean, does ethics come into this sort of stuff? I mean, and perhaps obviously you don't do those unethical things. No, definitely illegal things now. But sure. is there a? Do you ever weigh up in your mind? 
I'm just doing this out of curiosity. I want to see how far I can go. Um, mm. Is that okay if you're crossing the ethical line? And is, I mean, there's no laws against manipulation, I don't think, is there? Like, Yeah, look, I guess it depends where your moral compass is, right? For me, I know I can do a lot more and still stay within the bounds of law, but yeah. you also get a rush from this sort of stuff and it's important to pick up on yeah. that rush, you know? It's, it's very, very similar to, to anyone that has a drug addiction. When you get that rush of breaking into something the first time or getting what you want, it becomes very hard to stop that snowball effect. Yeah. And that's something that I had a very big problem with growing up, you know, it, this constant feeling of I'm more powerful than this company. Like anytime I did something, it wasn't the mindset of I got in. It was the mindset that I just beat the company. That's how you know, ignorant I was. I was thinking, you know, I didn't, I didn't hack into this user. I hacked the company. The company couldn't stop this 15 year old boy. And that would bring me up so much more. So I think it just depends. Like you want to go down this road of constantly trying to break things. You never, you're just chasing a dragon. You're not ever going to find that you know, that, that whole thing, you're just trying to fill this void. So I think that's kind of where it sits as well. So uh, can we just get into the sort of darker sort of areas? So you, yeah. you, you're talking about, um, I don't know, I guess it's organized crime or yeah. at least people with the wrong intentions, um, grooming younger boys and girls yeah. who, who can't get in trouble by virtue of their age. Yeah. Um, who are these organizations? I mean, what are, what is their objective? What are they trying to do? I mean, you, you might be just doing, yeah. you, you're just trying to get the thrill. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just to see if you can, blah, blah, blah. But do you hand the information over to these organizations? And then what do they do with it? What are they trying so to do? So it really depends. The organizations, they, they kind of spread into like five different categories. So you have your nation, your state nation or your nation state sponsored hackers. So sovereigns. Sovereigns. Yep. You've got your uh, script kiddies who are the ones like, that have no idea about the actual space. They just find a tool online and they they, they attack. But who are they? The, the, they would be preteens. They, right. they would never really be anyone uh, that you should be too concerned about, but every now and then they might cause some disruption. You've got your hacktivists, like Anonymous, who are very big for what they do. They, they Everything that is driven by them is all political. Um, you've got your financial, you know, criminals. Who, typically the financial hackers are the ones that are being hired out by bigger criminal organizations. Because it's very hard for me to sit here and say that hackers are always there for the financial gain. They're not really. A lot of it is ego-driven. You do have your, you know, your very few, but the ones that are getting the money, they're not doing it just for themselves, right? And I guess you have your ethical hackers, right? So these criminals and these groups that come together and they try to groom and whatnot, if they do end up finding a very good team who are specializing in all different senses, everyone will have their own job. And I guess for me in my role at the time was to use whatever they couldn't do and get back information that they could use to do then bigger hacks. So I was kind of the guy that was, you know, mining everything. I was mining, I was gathering information, giving it to them. If they were happy with it, good. I didn't know what they did with it. I have no idea what they do with it. Do they pay you? No. They the tap thing. you on the back and say, good on you? That's all it was to me. And that was good enough. I didn't want money. To me, it was, this is a skill that I'm learning and I'm happy enough that these guys are teaching me to teach me more than school. That's how I looked at it. So yeah, I never really questioned it until obviously these other mentors that I had in my life who were in a more ethical sense sat me down one day and they were like, you don't know what you're actually doing. You don't know the kind of disruption that you might be causing in the end. You don't know anything. And they were like, you know, you can do this and get paid for it ethically, right? And I didn't know ethical hacking was a thing. And as soon as that became apparent to me, I was like, all right, why am I doing this for these random people? 
I can go to work for a company and I'll pay yeah, them. Fuck them. Yeah, basically. It was, it was like, I'm getting used here. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know these guys either. Like, I've never seen them. They don't know me. They could have known me maybe. I'm not too sure about it. But I know as a fact that I didn't know them. But you didn't know them. Yeah. More than likely, you were anonymous in these environments. I thought I was anonymous, but I look back at it sometimes and I go, well, I, I did leave a, a few trails that could have definitely led back to me. And I've got no doubt that they did their research on me. Yeah. but Because they would hack back into you. Yeah. They, they, they would have skills that I would have no clue about. And uh, they were very private with their lives. That I, I learned that I should have been as well. I didn't really understand the value of privacy until I left that sort of scene. And then I look back and I was like, damn, these guys might have known too much about me. Whereas I had absolutely no, that, they all had aliases, right? And they all went by different names. Not Some of them weren't even in Australia. You know, it, it was a very different space. And you talked about the, the mentors who were on the, yeah. on the good side. <laughs> um, were they hacker as well? Or yeah. They- so a lot of the mentors I found that were on the good side were doing things with bug bounties. What's so that com- mean? Companies would uh, release vulnerabilities that are known to their website or yep. to their systems. And they would get ethical hackers to come and find them. And if the ethical hacker found it, they'd report it back and they'd get a, a bounty. Oh, right. A fee. Yeah. A and, fee. And, and typically very high bounty. You know, they can go anywhere from five grand to a hundred thousand. Wow. People make s- stupid livings off this. Those mentors are the ones that were on the good side. And they would always try to push me into doing bug bounties. How do they well. find you or you find them? You find them in the same spots, you know. So the bug bounties would obviously like would be on these uh, forums. And typically they wouldn't be finding other hackers. They would be putting out information on how to, you know, do things or findings that they've they've had. And there's also websites that you can find these bug bounty people on. You know, very co- common is HackerOne. They've got all the ethical hackers on there and um, they're – they're the sort of people that live for this stuff. Every single day they're finding a bounty, they're making stupid amount of money and that's really it. Okay, you're sort of explaining to me the relationships. I mean, I get all that part. Mm. But to be a hacker, yeah. I mean, what the fuck are you doing there? You're sitting there and <laughs> banging away on the keyboard. But yeah. what do you got to understand, code? Or what do you got to understand? Nah, what, what? It's, it's a mixture of everything. I think everyone has this idea that you have to be this, you know, 40-year-old sitting in his mum's basement still hasn't seen the light of day. It's not really like that. It's this one screen in front of you. It's a terminal and you were just hacking. It, it, but but what it, are you hacking? What are you doing? Like, so, what skill did you so have? So if you're, if you're doing a web app test, you're running tools to find maybe open ports and you're trying to maybe exploit those open ports. Open ports being like a virtual open door on the yeah, website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And from there, you'd be using a cluster of other tools that can help you get to your objective. So I might try to SQL inject, meaning I try to play with the code in the background, the database, and that, you know, by playing with the database, I'll try to retrieve uh, information that I shouldn't be seeing on the front end. So maybe things like email addresses, first names, last names. Uh, if I want to do an infrastructure test, I'm trying to get through the firewalls, through, you know, uh, inf- like IDS systems, things like that. Wi-Fi attacks. It, it's, it's, they all go different ways. What's and a Wi-Fi attack? So Wi-Fi attack is would this, be- Is hacking into someone's Wi-Fi from outside? Basically, yeah. or trying to uh, grab traffic that's going from one end to another. You know, a very common one is a man in the middle attack. You basically act as, uh, let's just say you've got point A and point B. I'll try to insert myself in between and take the take the data that's going to point B before it reaches them. And then I escape before anyone learned on there. And so that, like point A being, but let's, let's say I'm at home. Yep. Data's distributed in that I'm working from home. Yep. COVID, for example, yep. I had to work from home. And then um, our head office, um, I'm interviewing you, mm-hmm. getting your passport details, et cetera, because I want to do a loan for you. Sure. Um, you know, I've got to ask you a million questions. So I'm putting, I'm, I'm entering all the data in and yep. then I've got to send that data from my using Wi-Fi at my home 
across to the my the head office mm-hmm. to see if someone can see if they can approve your loan. Your sure. Are you do you put yourself in between those? I put two? myself in between that. How, how do you get in between? Like, do you sit out the front of my house and um, disrupt my Wi-Fi? My so Wi-Fi? I, I do have to be connected to the same network. Yeah. So mine or my offices? Uh, well, it depends. If you're using a VPN to connect to your office, it'd yep. be that. Yeah. So I would sit between. Um, I would I would sit on something like Wireshark, which is a network traffic a sniffing traffic tool. And basically that tool allows you to see all the traffic that's passing on that network. Right. Everything from, if you click a website, it's going to show me what website you've clicked. If you've sent a message and say that this person sent traffic, it's my job then to wait for the right time to intercept, pick up that traffic and escape without you knowing I'm there. How do you know when the right time's there? I mean, like- well, there, there are on, there's like a lot of filters within this tool and the filters will allow you to kind of pick up on, uh, I guess, keywords you know, key things. So um, if I'm looking for an SSH. Uh, What's that? SSH is a protocol that we use uh, for like a secure, it's almost like a tunnel that you use to, to get from one end to another. And if you're using SSH to get from one end to another, I'm going to look for that exact word and that exact traffic coming from your IP address. And from there, if I can get onto it and I can maybe break that encryption, well, if it's not encrypted at all, maybe it's it's completely public. No problem at all. I've got your stuff now. But it is also something that companies and the the greater world now is becoming very aware of. It's not as easy as it used to be. You know, uh, doing these sorts of attacks take time. They take patience. And you've got to expect that you're going to be caught at some point as well. And if you are caught, it's as simple as just calling it a day and leaving it ethically, of course. So these days you work uh, at KPMG? Yeah. Yep. So uh, KPMG being the you know, one of the top four globally accounting firms and other stuff, they do a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, you're on the good side of uh, hacking and that is, um, I guess, organisations because a lot of the banks in Australia use KPMG. Yeah. Um, a, lot, well, a lot of big organisations use all the, the big accounting firms. Yeah. And one of the um, consultancies they would be offering is someone like you to go in and test their systems. Yeah. Is that what we're talking about here? That's exactly what I'm talking because, about. Because, I mean, I know that um, – well, I shouldn't say this particularly, but, like, uh, I know the big banks, mm-hmm. like CBA, has uh, quite a large um, number of guys and girls who are trying to hack into their own system all the time. Yeah. And just make sure – just see if there's any entry points. Mm-hmm. But they also have full-time cybersecurity people yeah. sitting down there making sure that no one's come in to have a look at it. And, uh, and it's a 24-7 and there's, like – millions of attempts all the time. Yeah. Not not just at CBA, but everywhere across the board in Australia. Is that what you're doing at KPMG? Yeah. So typically we will be contracted out. Um, and the way a normal engagement might run is a company will come to us, say, this is the scope of our work, what we want you to find. It's almost like you're putting together like a team, like the Avengers, right? You'll send them a bunch of CVs and the company will be like, all right, we'll pick this person, this person, this person. Uh, put together the team, show them the scope, and we'll give you a, a timeline. We want all the work done within this timeline. And that's really how the engagement goes. So, yeah, uh, a lot of the time they might have their own security teams, like you said, these banks and whatnot. But it's very different when you've got an outside perspective. You really want to replicate what an attacker is going to think and do. And when I'm doing my work, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm trying to think from the perspective of, of a proper attacker, somebody that has no ethics at all with a bit of, you know, obviously a background of ethics because if I step outside that legal bound, it can go somewhere else. That the engagement can turn into a proper proper battle and we don't ever want to go there. It's funny, like uh, many years ago I was running a business and um, we were doing 
um, firmware security systems for, which obviously use software, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, for uh, um, uh, countries. That's called countries. And uh, we had um, some people in our office from one particular country and uh, they were downloading, well, uploading our code that we used to run this particular country's security system. Uh, they were rack systems. So we were sure. securing rack systems inside of which was stored all the data, mm-hmm. yeah, obviously on you know, no one stored data in their office in those days. More recently, it was been in data centers. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then they they had these users who were able to use these systems to um, uh, collect goods or order online as well. So they were putting them into lockers around various railway stations in this particular country. Mm-hmm. And these guys, the guys, two guys, really good guys, but they uh, they're here on visas. Yeah, but. Uh, were getting all our stuff, all our instructions and rules sure. about how to everything worked and just pushing them back to the country of their origin. And uh, we had guys in uh, Lviv in Ukraine, mm-hmm. in the University of Lviv, which is a mathematics university, all PhD guys used to work overnight and they were hacking into our system. For us, they were hacking into yeah, our right, system. Right. And then they discovered these two individuals who'd been doing. They let them go for a little while, or time, which is let them course, go for a period of time. A case, why not? Yeah, we yeah. built a case, and um, in the end, uh, they got prosecuted, and their visas were cancelled. They were sent back home, mm-hmm. um, and we got them just in time. But is this uh, called foreign actors thing a big problem in Australia today? Yeah, massive problem. It's it's becoming a bigger problem because what happens with these foreign actors is that they because they're sponsored by their own country. Really, and by foreign governments. Well, we didn't know that though. Right. To be honest, you're like we just uh, that were like uh, pretty cool dudes. They're engineers, our software yeah. engineers, electrical engineers, um, and they were just good guys. You know, like uh, seemed like good guys. Of course, had no fucking idea they were what that the shit they were up to. Sure. Like uh, what one of them did is he took all our uh, our our tech mm. and he played around a little bit, made a few changes, and entered himself into a. This is one of the ways I found him. Ended himself into a competition in his country, a tech competition, yeah. and fucking won it. <laughs> and uh, he was put on the TV in that country. Oh wow! As like coming third or something. We didn't win. We got in the top three. And these guys from Lviv somehow I don't know why they were watching this shit, but because uh, it's a <laughs> massive country, they started to get suspicion about the dude. Mm, mm. And he entered the competition from Australia. He went back there for a holiday. Yeah. And uh, they saw him on this fucking TV winning this prize for doing exactly what we were doing back here in Australia for a, a another nation. Yeah. Uh, or a, a, it's so typical though, Mark. It's so typical. Like these hackers, if they were just to think about what they're doing, they don't like – a lot of the time the hackers get caught, they get caught for the, the silliest reasons, not even for the hack, the hack themselves. It's because they let themselves go public. They're not really thinking about what they're doing and it, it's crazy to me. Like some of these, the top tier hackers have been caught in the weirdest ways. You know, like this guy has put himself on TV. He didn't have to do that. He could have just stayed on Totally. The- yeah, he could have just- What the fuck? Why? I mean, <laughs> I, mean I thought to myself, this is his ego going mad. That's just what it is. You let it get a, a control of you and your ego starts to be like, oh, no one's going to get you. Just keep going. Well, also, you're probably thinking he's going to make money out of it too, I guess, sure. at some stage. More recently, we had a lot of stuff in the media about um, hackers going in and seeking ransoms. Sure. 
um, and uh, payments that haven't been paid because yep. that's uh, sort of the Australian government uh, recommendation that yep. these guys don't get paid. And uh, then they start releasing information. Um, a, why they're releasing the information, what's the point of doing that other than embarrassing the little poor buggers whose mm-hmm. stuff's been released? Um, and what's the what's the thinking about behind not giving or re- recommending no money to be paid to these organisations? And are these organisations ever successful in getting money? Okay, so to kind of stick with the first question, the reason these people keep coming back for more is because they learn from the mistakes that they've made maybe five, 10 years ago, or they learn from other mistakes of other hacking groups. And they come back with a more sophisticated method of getting in, asking for ransom. And because of this, Australia, ourselves, we're finding it hard to keep up in that sense. You know, we've, we've had so many attacks happen in the last couple of months and they continue to happen. And a lot of the time when these ransoms are, are thrown towards us, we have, we've got like a, a tear between two sides. We've got a side that's saying, just pay it. We want our data back. And we've got another side that's like, no, if we give into this, they're just going to continue to do it. So I, I understand, I understand our position, why we wouldn't do it. You don't want to give them that upper hand. The data is important. It's true. No one should be able to have, lose their sensitive data, but you keep paying these, you know, these uh, threat actors, they're going to continue to come back for more. It's not going to be enough for them. You know, they, they are very manipulative. They'll sit there and tell you that, you know, pay us and we'll give your data back. There's nothing binding them to, binding to that. They've already given your data to maybe five other hacking groups. They're going to use the same tactic against you. You might pay them. This hacking group has probably collaborated with another hacking group that said, well, you've given them money. We want your money too. And we've got the same data. Are we going to continue to pay them? We can't continue to pay them. We're going to look like a very weak country that you know can't solve its own issues. And I think what Australia is doing now, which I'm very, very happy to see, is Australian government has actually come out saying now we're going to offensively attack hackers back now. The way that we used to do it was if we had a problem happen, we'd try to... Uh, unveil where the problem started, do a bit of forensic analysis and then cover it up. Now it's not like that. We've realized, well, we can't keep doing this. We need to attack these people and and debilitate them from their side. How do we do that? Well, from what I understand, we're trying to gather um, a lot of offensive hackers, people that are allowed to go full full blaze into the unknown. And with the backing of our own country, just like these hackers, right? A lot of them, because they're sponsored by their own foreign government, they have unlimited resources. They get the green light and they are allowed to go for gold. We need that too. And we've realized, well, if we've got the backing of our country to go full blaze and, and destroy these other hackers coming towards us, it might scare them off a bit. You know, Hackers are the most paranoid people on earth. If they know a whole government is going after them, they're going to stop doing what they're doing. But if they know a government is backing off and going, well, you know, we've covered up this attack and hopefully it won't happen again, they're just going to keep going. So I think it's a very good method that we're using. I think I think it's the smartest method. We need are we to as good it. as them though? I mean, is it? I mean, I have all these sort of you know yeah. stories about you know Russians and Chinese and you know Middle Eastern groups. Yeah. I mean, are we as good as they are when it comes to the skill? I would say why not. I think the reason it doesn't look like that is because we don't really have that motivation here. I don't feel like we're ever told. Then again, you know what? We don't know what goes behind the ADF. We don't know what happens behind closed doors. But I would say we, we definitely have the brain for it. We just need the green light. I think that's all it is. These other companies, these other hacking groups, they've always had this green light from, their, from the get-go. So they get all the training they need. They don't really have a moral compass that sits. It's like, okay, this is where your values are. Don't push beyond this. They just do what they need to do. We've always had that here. 
I think if we just push that line a bit further and we say, well, your value just to sit here. Now they can sit up here a bit. We can be as good as them and even better. You know, we're, we've got the resources. We've, we've got very smart people in this country. I think we can do a lot of damage back. I noticed you have a, a degree in um, commerce, been in IT. Thank you. Uh, I've got, yeah, so I've got a degree in communications technology and a major in cyber, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, are we talking about like the people who are really dangerous, say foreign actors no. in who are state-sponsored? Are we talking about geniuses or are we just talking about boys and girls, guys and girls who are just like just good at their thing and skilled? No, look, I, I, I will give credit to hackers in general. As much as they might be paranoid, they might have their traits of introversion and whatnot, they are geniuses. The yeah. ones that do... Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage... Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The big dog acts, they have to have credit given towards them in some sense. Right. You are talking about people that are completely dismantling a company from the inside. Not many people can do that. You know, you ask people on the street what it means to be a hacker and they can't tell you where to start. I feel like it's a craft of its own. It's a superpower. When you know how to hack and you're a good hacker, it is the closest thing you're going to have to a superpower. So you have to give credit. But at the same time, in saying that, you can also have these script kiddies that we spoke about before where they might find a tool online, they'll fire it off and you know, we'll see what happens. And sometimes they win, sometimes they don't. Can anyone find these tools online? Yeah, it's, it's so publicly available. There are cyber experts that had brought up, when, when this Optus thing went past, there were cyber experts that were saying, well, this person could have been a preteen using a tool online. That's how easy the attack was. And I, th- I think people need to really remember like that's true, but that's not something that we should be exposing to the general public. We shouldn't be saying to the general public that you can find these tools this publicly because, and I guess this is where it kind of dishes into social media. You know, we have this very big culture of trends these days, especially through TikTok, right? We have this application now which pushes trends. And my fear is what happens when one day the trend catches on of hacking? You know, little Timmy goes to school and he shows his friends, I found this hacking tool online. I want to make a video on TikTok. And he puts it and he gets thousands of views. Now everybody wants to download this tool and everybody wants that attack. That's going to cause a pandemic. Why hasn't that happened so far? I think it's getting there. And I think it, it is happening, but I don't think it's blown up yet. You know, I've, I've, I've heard of kids that have found Snapchat hacking tools and they want to get their ex-girlfriends and their ex-boyfriends and 
that's a problem in itself. That shouldn't even exist. They shouldn't know this exists. But because of you know this ease of information that we have from TikTok and whatnot, it makes it hard to stop it. Well, you mean people who get on the platform and talk about it? Yeah, I it's mean, not TikTok itself. It's it's individuals. It's not TikTok itself, but TikTok doesn't do anything to moderate yeah, there's, it. There's no there's no filtering. There's no filtering. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's you know it's on them, and they try to push it onto the youth, but they're not understanding. You're providing a platform for these people that have no idea, and you're one of the most used applications right now. Of course, people are gonna it's gonna blow up like wildfire. So I, I think it goes onto the company and it goes onto people, you know, like your, your parents in general, the people that should be guiding you the right way. I feel like the whole cyber, the whole, the whole cyber angle is being forgotten. There's no education surrounding it. That's the education that does surround it is not taken seriously either. I think people think about hacking, especially from the younger, you know, the youth, and they think it's just a game and it's really not. It, it causes too much disruption, disruption in today's age, especially. We're surrounded by technology. We can't have this idea that we can, you know, fire an attack off and there are no consequences. It, there's always a consequence of what you're doing. You're not talking about people behind TikTok hacking into users' accounts. You're talking about users using TikTok to maybe put up a tool at a tool somewhere that they think works really well. I think it's both ways, to be honest. I think TikTok has a lot to answer for themselves. What, can we just sort of dig in that a little bit? Yeah, like, uh, sure. We're probably going to get arrested or something. We'll get, no, it's cool. Something's going to happen. Some spy will come after us. Yeah, yeah. probably. But uh, <laughs> let's talk, I mean, like everyone keeps talking about TikTok. I mean, we yeah, use yeah. it a little bit here. We yeah. play around a little bit. But um, one, it is one of the most used and or most popular uh, platforms in the world today. Yep. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, yeah, in, yeah. In terms I mean, there's 900 million, users, 900 million users a day on this thing. A day. And uh, kids don't give a shit about what they put up there. No, they absolutely They have not. no sense of nope. what they're doing. W what would you say to them straight up? Straight up? Uh, well, you know what? I would first tell them to kind of really think about this content that you're putting up. 10 years from now, it's going to bite you back. How? Well, you've got kids over-sexualizing themselves saying things that are way too political for their age. I had a kid come up to me and basically imply if she's underage and that's the right time to go for her. And I was like, where did you get this from? I said, oh, I got it from TikTok. And he's like, it's, it's funny though. And I go, why is it funny? You're 13. This shouldn't even be in your head. The fact that this joke, it, it, like you, you have this sense of dark humor at this age and you're getting it from TikTok. Many kids like you as well. This is a problem and no one's stopping it. No one's stopping it at all. And TikTok, the reason I, I come after them consistently and you know, I don't bring up other social media is because TikTok right now has conditioned the younger youth to have this 10-second dopamine response where every single second the kid is trying to find something funnier. He's trying to find something more, it pushes the line even more. And it's like we're almost applauding TikTok, you know. We've all, always heard about how TikTok has collaborated the world and whatnot, created jobs for people. It's all a facade. It means nothing. You know, these kids don't know what they're doing at all. It, it, it actually scares me a bit to think that we have this many users on it. The Western world has been pushed out this degenerate version of TikTok whilst where TikTok was developed in China. They have a very different version of what TikTok is. They have oh, really? A, yeah, they have an academic version. They get 10 to 45 minutes a day on this app and they cut off after that. You get awarded in TikTok uh, in China for using TikTok for educational purposes. Right, they're learning how to, you know, maybe speak English. They're learning maybe how to, uh, maybe mathematics. It could be anything, but it's anything. censored. But it's censored. But they don't tell you that, right? They pushed out this version of the Western world. Do whatever you want with it, and because of how we are, right? We try to monetize everything. We try to make it something that I don't know is destroying our minds. 
China's having the having a good time with their youth. The youth aren't going and making dances and you know, over-sexualizing themselves and whatnot. They've got their own stuff covered and they don't care. Do you think that they're using, doing something with the data that they're collecting or going to do something with the data collecting from the Western nations and Western nation users who use TikTok? It's hard to say what they're going to do with it. To me, I don't even have to, I don't have to know what they're going to do, for, do with it for me to be worried about it. You know, there was a security researcher that basically went into TikTok's source code and unraveled, basically re- reverse engineered the whole app. You can reverse engineer it publicly as well, um, especially if you're, you're someone like a software architect who does this for a living. This guy was reverse engineering the application and he was beside himself. It was a study he did back in 2020 when it first kind of, when the app first rose up. And you can find it online. It's a, it's a very public, um, uh, I guess, statement he put out. He put all the facts with it, all the information. TikTok is grabbing things like your location every 20 seconds that you're on the app. To me, why does an application need that power? Why do they need to know where you are every 20 seconds? Why is it that they have access to your storage unit on your phone? Access to your messages, access to things that which messages, your your personal messages. When 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 you download TikTok, they don't put this in terms and conditions, but you're giving them rights to typically everything on your phone: your IP address, your MAC address, hardware information that again they don't need to know. All this information can be congregated, and and to be honest, it's hard to say. Yeah, what do they, it's not about what can they do with it? It's what do they want to do with it? Anything they want. It's one thing for your own country to have information on you. It's another thing for a foreign country to have all this information on other citizens. And nobody's saying anything about it. There was a reason why at one point Donald Trump was like, we need to get rid of this application. And there was a big backfire on him, massive backfire. Why would you get rid of this? It's, it's, it's collaborating the world. Well, this is the reason. And it's getting worse and worse. You can't stop it. Right now, this is a train and it's going full blast. But why doesn't, why doesn't our government do something about it? I mean, what do you think? I would love to. I would, I would love our government to do something about it. But I, I don't think there's, I don't think they, oh, it's hard. For, I, I can't put words into anyone's mouth. But I feel like as a, as a, a country, as, as a society, we might like to deal with things when they've already happened before that. Like, we don't ever prepare for things before they happen. I feel like when something happens, now we'll deal with it. And I think that's maybe what we're waiting for. TikTok is a pandemic of its own and it hasn't become publicly announced that. But when it does, I think then we'll start taking it seriously. And I think that's too late. So like the whole, I often wonder about the psychology of the individuals who, who sit behind mm-hmm. something like TikTok or anything for that matter, mm-hmm. how they work out very rapidly that um, they can um, manipulate the reward center in someone's brain, mm-hmm. a young person's brain in particular who doesn't rationalize anything. Um, particularly those who, young men who don't really get a proper um, maturation of their you know, prefrontal cortex still around 22, so they can't make proper logical decisions. Yeah. And they're, so they're living off um, either testosterone-fueled um, uh, risk-taking or alternatively and and therefore and also reward center, you know, flushes so they're, you know, continually getting dubbed in flush with yeah, the system yeah. every time they win or they get something out of this or mm-hmm. someone pays them attention and uh, – these individuals who run these platforms must sit around just thinking, well, we know how to manipulate these young people yep. by um, sort of dialing up their dopamine yep. or dialing up their serotonin. And what we'll do is we'll change the algorithms and or the, the mm-hmm. tech so that we can actually get them to put up more risky shit yep. and, and do more weird shit. And at the same time, as you just said, uh, the 
architecture of the of the platform allows them to see where you are, mm-hmm. how many times, you know, every time, every so many seconds a day, you know, um, and everything else you're doing on on your on all your various other platforms. Yeah. Um, it, it, do you are there? I mean, is there some sort of person? Or I, I mean, do you know of this? Are there people who sit around in these environments at in these platforms in these countries where these things originate from? Like super psychologists or super psychiatrists, whatever the hell they are, yeah. uh, working out all this evil shit. It sounds like a like a movie to me. Yeah, look, it's I can't I guess give like a, a completely accurate answer on if there's people like that, but I know they use artificial intelligence to definitely uncover that. So they might like what you said. They'll have on TikTok a for you page, which is for you. All the content that comes to your for you page is based off everything that you like. They can just run some artificial intelligence in there. To be like, all right, every time Astity clicks on a video of basketball, let's throw in more basketball for him. Maybe something a bit crazier as well, something a bit more controversial. Just push the limits. Push a bit. the limits a bit. And slowly it becomes this point of like when we first saw TikTok start off, right? It was just dancers, people dancing, not much going on. It's now evolved from dancing to whatever the hell it is now. I can't even tell you what it is now. It's everything. It's everything. Yeah. It's everything. And that's the problem. There's no limit. You don't have anyone going, TikTok, you want to stop it now? No, it's your platform. You do whatever you want with it. We're creating jobs for people. What are you talking about? Right? So these people that are behind, I guess, running this AI or running, you know, this, I guess, data mining, they know what they're doing. They know exactly how to play with young minds. They know exactly. The fact that if I go to a friend and I explain everything I just said to you, to them, I always get the same response at the end of it. They'll be like, wow, that is crazy. I didn't know TikTok did that. So you're going to delete it? No. Nah. No, nah, because uh, my For You page is a bit different. I get funny jokes from it. It's like it's, they're brainwashing you. You can't sit there and tell me they're not brainwashing you. Yeah, I can, I can tell them that TikTok is stealing all their data and I'll still get the same response. No, nah, I won't get rid of it. What is that? Why, why is that? I mean, why are they it's, it's, so it's, not it's, dumb but like resistant to but change? It is just, it's just, well, it, it, it's- Or they're completely addicted. It, it's addiction, but I think COVID- and the mixture of COVID and, and TikTok was a perfect, perfect sample for a storm because you had all these people that had nothing to do all day. You're stuck in your house. There was a point where we had, what, curfews at 9 p.m.? TikTok was your, your knight in shining armor. If you got nothing to do, you just swipe and It sneak. sounds a bit conspiratorial when I think about it. That's, that's, that's madness. Like, uh, let's make everybody sick yeah, so that they can't go out. And, and let's give them something. And what can- we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll show the rest of the world how you deal with this uh, pandemic. We'll lock everybody up and everyone will yeah. copy us. And we'll make sure that um, we tell everyone in the world through other social media platforms that this is the best way to control the, the, the yeah, pandemic. I mean, and all the dumb fucking politicians will just yep. say, oh, oh, shit, that's what they do. That work. We'll do the same thing. Absolutely. Don't think for themselves. And then what people will do is because they now can't go out and see their mates or whatever, um, why don't we provide the TikTok platform for them to play around with them and start to build this? I wouldn't put it past them. I wouldn't put it past them. It, like I said, it's such a perfect sample for a storm. You have an abundance of videos and you've got 900 million people collaborating, right, on a daily. <laughs> Is anyone going to get bored from that? Yeah, yeah. Nobody's going to get bored from that. And it's it's pretty funny that we had this happen during COVID and, and now COVID's done. This application has snowboarded into a, a point where no one can stop it. I don't actually think TikTok can be stopped. I think it'd be moderated just like China does with their own people. But I don't think it can be stopped. So that, that, but TikTok is a good example of sort of centralized systems. Mm-hmm. 
And we keep hearing about decentralization, like, you know, Web3, et cetera, yep. and uh, decentralizing things. Yep. In other words, to protect yep. people. Um, do you think that's a next iteration? Do you think um, everybody's going to start to, do others will start to create these sorts of platforms which are totally decentralized, which have no so- sovereign ownership, in other words, um, you know, so that people can't be, you, the, the important bits of data that exist out there can't be sort of put together so that I can create a problem for you. And it sounds appealing. Yeah, I, I do. <clears throat> I agree. I think in general, this application like TikTok, it is basically putting everything into one spot, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, Everybody's know, everything. Every Exactly. Exactly. It will get to a point where we probably start to use it for our day-to-day tasks. I feel like TikTok can become that application where we might use as an example in schools and the schools might look at it as a way of oh you know this is just a good way to communicate with the kids they're forgetting that human aspect that social aspect that we used to use and now we're relying on these applications to do it all for us i feel like that is so destructive and it's going to blow back in our faces and we don't know it yet but it will you know with applications like instagram and facebook people people constantly say to me like what's the difference with these apps there really isn't a massive difference. The difference to me is that Instagram and Facebook, they take a bit of a different approach on things, a little bit. And that approach is that you're not really bound with this thing in your face of all information. Like Instagram has always and will always be to share photos, to share experiences. It hasn't really become that meme app, the app where it's information on everything. Facebook, the same sort of thing. You've got a marketplace on it to connect people they still get your data in some senses. Yeah, I can understand. But TikTok has really just been like, you know what? We don't have a point. Our point is everywhere. You want to use this for whatever you want, you can. And and I think that's uh, something we really need to step on top of. So when it comes to cybersecurity, given we've had some pretty public uh, hacks into some pretty public organizations mm-hmm. more recently, and of course we've seen the ruthlessness of the hackers. They have released really sensitive data. It gets released on the dark web, mm-hmm. largely, um, which is where all the nefarious, um, you know, bad intention actors hang out. Yeah, because that's where they're going to pick up the stuff. Then it's not going to just get put out on some someone else's. Surprisingly, website. actually, it, it's pretty public. It's not always on the dark web. Like I can I can name a few com- a few websites now that I probably shouldn't uh, that you can find some some data on. Right, it's become so public now that you don't have to go to the dark web anymore. Wow. Yeah, yeah. There, there was a forum called Rated Forums. You can search it up on Google. I think it's been seized now. But this forum basically had data from everywhere. Everywhere. You wanted to find the Optus data. That well, Arguably, that's where the Optus attacker, that's where he actually released some of the data. He put it onto rated forums and he put it there. Um, it got seized right after that, the whole website. But that website had been up for like 10 years. No one realized it was there. You didn't have to go into the dark web to find it. You can buy hacking tools from there. You can buy data, whatever you want. You want to buy wow. credit cards, you can buy it from there. So I think uh, the dark web's one thing, but Google, our search engines are, are another thing anyway. Cybersecurity sounds like it's in a terrible shape. Mm. Um, how do we deal with this? Like, what's the way forward for us? Look, I, I think we are slowly getting on top of it. I, I, do, I can't sit here and say that we're not, we've got no uh, handle on this. I do think we do, but Australia's always been behind the UK and the US. We're, we're probably like five years behind, right? Let's wow. just give a ballpark. I would say we are. And I think now that we're having all these attacks happen, we are now starting to take things serious. We are now starting to, to see and be like, all right, we can't keep just 
taking these attacks and, and letting everyone walk all over us. Technology is around us. We're in this day and age now. I think what we can do to really just step up the, the mark is education. That's all I'll ever stress. We need more of this happening. You know, you, every year you have sex education for kids twice a year. Why not put that twice a year? So a cyber education twice a year in every school. It needs to happen. We have kids bringing iPads to school these days, iPhones, laptops. I didn't have that when I was back at school, right? Maybe towards the last year 12, I had a laptop. But before that, I didn't have any access. We need more education. We need to get people kind of thinking about how they can stay safe themselves. Because a lot of these attacks that happen, they're not due to the company screwing up. It's due to human error. You know, maybe someone might click on a link and that yeah. allows now a hacker to have control over the whole business. You'd be surprised from one computer what a hacker can do, you know? He can do a thing called pivoting, which basically means he gets one computer, he's now pivoted towards the whole domain. And it's that simple. It's just because of one person screw up. But if you educate a whole society on how to stay safe from this, I can't see where, where the issues can go wrong. Of course, you can't ever stop hacking from happening completely, right? You can't, but you can mitigate it. You can definitely, you can definitely cut it down. That's interesting what you just said though, because like in one of my businesses, we, we use an external um, IT consultants to basically look at all our cybersecurity and they pretty much run everything anyway for us. But I don't really remember them ever coming in and um, having even in our own organisation like a, a lecture, for example, on um, or not lecture, like a talk yeah. about the sorts of things you've got to be careful of. Of course. As a, an employee opening a door up mm. but to somebody who sends you some weird email which you happen to open up because you have some interest in it but it's got nothing to do with their business. Yeah. Which is what they're trying to do. They're just trying to bait you. Absolutely. To do something dumb. Social engineering. Yeah. And uh, it's, I don't, that, that's a good point. Like the cybersecurity consultants should be running courses internally in businesses as well. Of course. Not just at, at families, kids, schools, mm -hmm. but we, we need a better education system. We do. We do. We're, we're pushing this cyber aspect away from us as if it's not happening already. It's almost like, oh, we're still waiting. Cyber's here. It's, we're living with it. We need the youth to really understand the implications of what's happening right now. We'll, we'll let it open up Pandora's box, so. Well, see, if I had that education growing up, I don't think I would have ever stepped inside of that group that I was in. I was lucky that I had the mentors I had. But I know if I didn't have those mentors, who knows where I would have been, honestly. I would have kept going the route I went. I know the skills that I had at the time and still do could have definitely caused some, some damage. And I had enough enemies back at school to, to have these attacks thrown out. But I never did it because I had the mentors. I had the education behind what could what could go wrong. If we just really put out the consequences, we show people, hey, look, we want you to just say we're trying to hire more hackers and more cyber professionals. If you put the facts in front of them of here, this is what it takes to be a cyber professional. But these are all those consequences if you step outside. I think you're going to deter a lot of people because the consequences are severe, right? For breaking into someone's account, just breaking into it, not even touching anything. They can you mean? any account, right. social media account, you can you can see up to five years. Wow. Just You're just breaking into it. You haven't done anything, but five years is what you're looking at. And that's what's always deterred me as well. Like putting aside my ethics and morals, is me breaking into an account really worth five years of my life? Absolutely not. That's right. an interesting point, you know, you just said, because, you know, we know what the, what happens if you drive more than 60 kilometers an hour in a 60 zone or a 40 zone, whatever case may be, you could lose your license, three points, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But that's the deterrent. I don't think most people even know what the law is about no, uh, breaking into someone's account. They don't. I've had people come up to me. I've literally have had 
a couple guys in the past say, oh, I want to hack my ex-girlfriend and see what her Snapchat is. I'll pay you 200 bucks. And I laugh about it. 200 bucks for 10 years of my life. I mean, totally. Yeah. Who do you think I am? First of all, um, privacy is a massive thing to me. So that's never going to happen. But second, you think you're going to persuade me to do this for a silly cause? No. And I, I think once they realize what the consequences are, then they step back and go, oh, it's not really worth it, is it? No, it's not. Get on with your life. It's really that simple. I think the consequences that we have in place are, are perfect. We shouldn't make them any easier because cyber criminals are gangsters in their own way, right? If anything, they're more dangerous than the gangsters we see on the street. At least you, could, you can see the ones on the street. Yeah, at least you can see the ones on the street, right? And, and you know, you can hack from anywhere. That's the problem. You can be 20, 20 feet underground in a bunker and you can hack any person from anywhere across the world. That's scary to me. That's scarier than somebody with, you know, a gangster on the street slinging drugs or something. It's not the same. These cyber criminals are the future gangsters and they will be the ones to rule you know, that whole world. So We have the... Um Signal Directorate, who often puts out in Australia, yep. Australian Signal Directorate, who is like our spooks, and uh, they put out recommendations to small business owners about what they should be doing. Like at a minimum, there's different levels of cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, some things they you know, change passwords, all that sort of stuff. Sure, um, don't open up stuff that comes through. Yep. But would there be just a couple of minimum things that you recommend to small business owners in terms of just stuff they could do for their own yeah, cybersecurity absolutely. reasons? And and they're always kind of the same reasons, but. Passwords, big one, passwords, passwords, passwords. Just make them longer than your name. Do yeah. not, you know, don't, don't make it anything too obvious. Not your pet's name, not your dad's name. You can, you can go online and just find a password generator and it will give you a 20 character password that no one is ever going to get into. I can guarantee you that. But I guess the problem is people, oh, I don't, I'm not going to remember it. And then they'll, they'll, main, they'll probably put their name one, two, three at the end. And that's good enough. And then they'll use that same password across all accounts. First thing you can do, longer password, more complex, different characters, symbols, and use a different password for each account. Yes, sure, it's probably inconvenient in some senses, but you want to be hacked or do you want that slight bit of inconvenience that causes you to go to your notes just to copy and paste the password? Is passwords in relation to your work environment or is that passwords for Netflix? Everything. 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 Because again, you could, any account can be used as a pivot point. If I get into your Netflix account, people might think that's harmless, right? And often you will hear, I've got nothing to hide you always have something to hide. You just don't know it yet. Even if it's not for you, how about those conversations you've had with your friend a couple of years ago where they've you know, maybe said something very sensitive to you that they trusted you with? You have to be considerate about what you're holding. You have to be considerate about what you've actually got. So you always do have something to hide and, and every account is important to have, have like a very strong lockdown on. If it's your Netflix, even if it's something like Duolingo, it doesn't seem like it's interesting, but that account can be a pivot point. So passwords is one thing. You have different passwords, like complicated passwords for everything? For everything. And where, 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 like, do you have you, a password you can, you storage can, place? Look, there, there are password managers. Now, I guess- oh, That the, makes me nervous. Yeah, exactly. So I would never recommend the password manager because password managers have been breached before and then guess what? You're screwed completely. Yeah, totally. All right, you've, you've just given away everything. I like to go by- so I guess the you way don't, I, you don't want to give it up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't give it up. But let's just say, if you feel like you can leave your password somewhere laying around in a very secure location on you paper, mean handwritten. handwritten. Look, you're not that important. That someone's going to break into your house, yeah, 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 and, yeah. and look for this piece of sheet. Yeah, yeah. just do that. Yeah, yeah. Or if you've got your notes on your phone and and you, you yeah, I don't like put it on the phone though. You don't want to put it on the phone, but you know what? I I I really doubt that people are going to go home and write it. I would always say that, but. Just put it somewhere in different locations that 
someone might not look. Yeah. There used to be this application that was a fake calculator that you could get on your phone. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, you remember yeah, that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect app to yeah. have. No one's going to look inside of your calculator. You put in a little pin number and now the calculator turns into a notepad. Yeah. So things like that, I think you should store it there. And if you really, really are persistent on the fact you don't want to keep it somewhere, just memorize them. They don't have to be all the time 20 digits, right? Maybe they can be 12. Make it 12 the most random things you've ever thought in your life and no one's going to come up with it. And eventually over using this password over and over again, you will remember it. That's all it is. Okay, well, that's password. So how often should we change passwords? Every three months at least. Every three months. Every three months. Again, sounds inconvenient, but it's for your safety. Especially in a work sense. I think most companies now are starting to give you a bit of a retention period where uh, you know they will keep your password in the system for about three months and then they'll make you change it. I think that's yeah, great. Yeah, that happens in our organization. Yeah, perfect. It should be. Um, especially because like a lot of threats can come from insider threats, right? Imagine a system administrator who looks after all your account <laughs> details one day wants to turn the turn the clock and go, you know yeah, what? Because you exact them. Exactly. And and now they know all your passwords. You need that to be changed within an immediate time. Three months is, is typically pretty good. Uh, links, next thing, phishing links. They are one of the biggest. Don't open them. Don't open them. Doesn't matter what it is, don't open them. If you don't know the email and you can't verify that that person is is who they say they are, leave the link. Go to the website instead. If it says it's Facebook support, go to your Facebook account, log in, and I'm sure there'll be a notification there with the same thing. If it's not there, don't do it. I think the links are probably one of the biggest things, especially towards like the elderly market. Yeah. They're so easy to go after. So easy. You know, you send the right link about your superannuation to somebody, you've got all their money now. You think it's your bank. You think it's your bank. Or the HR. Twice. Of course. There, there have been accounts of people that have been on the phone with a scammer. And there have been cyber professionals have told them on the phone. I remember watching this. And the cyber professional goes, don't listen to this scammer. And the woman sat there and went, excuse me, this person actually helping me with my computer right now. I want you to step out of it. It's not your business. And she ended up losing like $40,000. These scammers know what they're doing. They know exactly how to talk. They're social engineering. They make you feel like you need them, right? And before you know it, it's done. You can't unhack yourself. It, it's Your money's gone. Who are you going to blame, all right? It's not like you can call the police and they can come and take it. They don't know what to do either. So links and passwords are one thing. But I also think in general, just a general sense, if something looks suspicious to you in any way, just stick away from it. Stick. It doesn't have to be a link, anything. If it's a file, if it's a, if it's a download, just stick away from it. You don't know what sort of file, uh, what sort of malicious code this file might have. Like remote code execution is one of the biggest attacks, meaning someone might click a zip file that they found and, oh, it's got the data I want. Without knowing, now there's a little bot on the computer that has this backdoor. And now this hacker, whenever they're offline, can log into this backdoor and they've got control of your computer now. This happens so often, so often, and it's not hard to execute either. So those are the small things that would take for small What about business. use Wi-Fi? I mean, public Wi-Fi systems. Public like, Wi-Fi, another massive one. Yeah. Don't connect to it. Yeah. No matter what. If, if I go to a cafe and it says free Wi-Fi. Yeah, what it's saying is free hack. Yeah. Don't, don't do it. You, you yeah. know, if you've got someone sitting there and telling you, like Starbucks, for instance, McDonald's, big advocates for free Wi-Fi, come sit here with your laptop and do all your work here. That's crazy. <laughs> You got corporate people coming with their laptops. Because if you're a hacker, you know that's a Yeah, play. of course. I'm yeah. going to sit there with my laptop open too, mm. waiting for traffic to pass through. And yeah, hopefully I grab something special. I drink my coffee. I leave. 
I come the next day and I do the same thing again. No one's going to know. Yeah, yeah. It's that easy. The public Wi-Fi especially, it's, it's, it's a, if you're a hacker, it's so fun. It, it's probably, it's, you're basically handing out your details. I, I think uh, every place, even if it means it's a simple password, just put any password, at least. Something that can encrypt the data. You don't want everything to be free, right? It, it, it's a very silly practice that I've seen that the cafes try to draw people in with. It's almost like a selling point. Like we have free Wi-Fi. Entirely. Airports yeah. as well. Airports too. Like yeah. silly places. And you will see a lot of hackers hang around airports actually, funny enough. Is that right? Yeah, of course. Because you've got these people, you know, corporate, especially corporate. And you're doing work. Doing work. They're going from one plane to another. There, yeah. and they've got their laptops out. Perfect spot for a hacker to sit. No one's going to pick up on them either. You've got thousands of people around you. Yeah. Everyone's got their laptops out. How are you going to tell me I'm a hacker? You know, when I was one time flying to Czech Republic, I had my laptop out and I, was, I wasn't doing anything malicious. I was just sitting in there reading traffic, just looking, not, not even reading, just had my, my terminal open. I was doing work on my own. But I saw a lot of traffic passing through and I was like, man, this is like a wet dream for a hacker. Yeah. I can sit here all day and I can do whatever I want with this. Of course, the ethics come back into play. Well, if I do this, this is the consequence that might come with it. It's, it's, it's like uh, sometimes I sit on airplanes and um, I might be sitting next to someone and I mm. go, go look at the, um, the airline's uh, free Wi-Fi when I'm on the plane and all of a sudden the person who's sitting next to me, their hotspot comes up and I mm. think, I, I know that uh, it's uh, Mary's uh, iPhone or Mary's yeah. uh, whatever. <laughs> they put their own name there. Uh, and I ch- sometimes I, I sort of, whenever they take their uh, part, um, boarding pass and they put in a thing and you can see the name mm-hmm. on there and you see it come up on your own on your own system, on your own, uh, in my case, my, my mobile phone, which I use. But, yeah, it's, and I think, what the fuck? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, yeah, of course. Actually, something really crazy happened not too long ago. There's an application called Be Real. Now, Be Real is this application where once a day it will notify you to take a photo of what's in front of you and a photo of yourself. You post it and that's, your, that's it for today. Now, a friend of mine actually came across something funny. He was like, Asti, you're going to hate this. One of the girls that he was friends with, she was at work and she took a photo in front of her and what's uh, herself and what's in front of her. Little to notice that she had her password, her email and all her data on this notepad on her laptop. He sent it to me. He goes, how much damage could you do with this? I go, I could dismantle this company from within. I now know where she works. I just searched up her name on LinkedIn. I know where the, the company is located, Double Bay. If I want to go outside of Double Bay right now, connect to their Wi-Fi and completely destroy my could. And I was like, you should let her know that this right here is, is going to be the cause of her company's downfall. It's just being considerate. It's, it's being aware, just awareness as well. Awareness comes out of education. I think, exactly. I, said, I think like what you're saying is, I think what the, the key component out of all this, apart from being terrified, but the key component <laughs> out of all this is that um, we've got to try and keep, the only way we can keep one step ahead of these hackers or these criminal organisations mm-hmm. or these actors is educating everybody who are the weak links. It's, it's not You're not the dude who has to know about it. Mm. Someone like me, I'm so scared of it, I'm actually really careful. Sure. But I don't really know, but I'm just careful, yeah, super yeah. careful. Um, but there are people out there who need to be educated. Who, that aren't scared enough. Uh, yeah, they don't give a shit. They I mean, it's shit. not that they don't give a shit, they just don't really realise what could happen. But th- that's the thing, right? Like. Educate them. Educate them. Like you, I think a very good way to educate people is all the scare tactics. Scare people into yeah. wanting to care, yeah. right? Like I feel even when I have told people about what can go wrong, they still, there's like this blank expression on their face. Like, okay, and, and it's like, how are you not scared? This, this is going to blow up in your face one day. So yeah, I think scare tactics are very, very We useful. do it on cigarettes. We do it on cigarettes. Look, unfortunately it doesn't always work. Yeah, yeah. But 
it's something. Yeah. Right? It, it gets the ball rolling a little bit. Um, it's a start. It's a start. The same way that you have those like uh, school um, school days where they might like simulate a, a, a shooter or they might simulate a, a bomb scare or something. It's a way to get kids ready for when it happens. It's a scare tactic. It's like, all right, everybody get up and go. Same sort of thing. And get them at a young age too. Get them at a young age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Because, I mean, you're right. Because sometimes if they're 18 and they're already in, in, the, in the system – you're not going to scare them all. They're going to say, oh, fuck it, who cares? I'm yeah. enjoying myself. And it's a bit like trying to get someone off drugs. They're, they're too addicted. Yep. But get them before they get onto it. Of course. And get, across the board. But Give get them the this young much ones. trauma. Just a little yeah. bit enough for them yeah, to yeah. carry for the rest of you their lives. You don't want them to have PTSD for no, the rest no. of their lives. Without, <laughs> just, that, just a tiny bit. This has been, apart from illuminating, it's been uh, also fascinating for me. Um, I've always wanted to meet a hacker, so I no, really appreciate no, having no, met one. Sure. Maybe I have met him in the past, but they just haven't fucking told me. Yeah, <laughs> this is me exposing myself to the brink as well. So yeah, <laughs> no but one. I'm glad you're going to the, uh, the the good side, yeah, and yeah, uh, sure. and you and uh, and you're a KPMG, and you're yep. you're you're involved in that part of their business, yep. which is a massive part of business um, these days, cybersecurity. So thanks very much. I really appreciate. Right, thank time. you. I appreciate it. Cool. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio production by Jessica Smalley. Production assistants, Jonathan Leondis and Simon McDermott. This is a Mentored Podcast. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.